to The Wow, the podcast that will provide you with the tools you need to thrive in today's society. If you're new here, then hello, I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and if you've listened before, then welcome back. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work in the suicide prevention space in a marketing and communications role in Canberra. I spend too much time socialising at the dog park with my lovely border collie Murphy and enjoy pizza on the couch with a glass of wine most Friday nights. But today we are talking about buying your first home. Now this can be an extremely daunting process. It is stressful and unless you've done all the research, it can often be hard to know where to even begin. Thankfully, Chrissa from Garland Finance is here to help us. Chrissa is a mortgage broker who is passionate about educating and sharing her knowledge of finance to help others achieve their financial goals in purchasing their first home. She shares with us the difference between working with a bank in comparison to a broker, what additional fees you need to be aware of, how much of a deposit you need, and much more. If you enjoy this episode as much as I did, then please remember to subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends. And if you haven't already, you better come join us on Instagram at thewowpodcast underscore. Hello, Krista, and welcome to the Wow Podcast. Hi, Georgie. Thanks so much for having me on. It's going to be really great to chat to you about buying first homes and all the finance stuff around that today. I feel like that's something that so many of us are going through um, as we enter our 20s and 30s and wanting to buy a home. But before we get into that, I would just like to start with an acknowledgement of country. So I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Ngunnawal people, the traditional custodians of the land I reside on here in Canberra, and the Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation that Chrissa resides on in Perth. I pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners here today. So Chrissa, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm in Perth, as you said. Um, I live here with my husband, Harry, and our Labradoodle, Frank, who's currently sitting across from me. Um, and yeah, so a bit of background in relation to, you know, becoming a finance broker. I've always had a really keen interest in property, um, you know, and investing in that side of things. So my mum's actually a mortgage broker and has been for about over 15 years now. Um, so she really encouraged me. She's also an investor herself. So she's got multiple investment properties and growing up, I could kind of see, um, you know, see her engaging in the property market and, you know, purchasing properties and then also the, the broking side of things as well. So, um, I bought my investment property when I was 24, um, you know, just started my, you know, first full-time job and, thought I would jump into the market. So that was, you know, a really steep learning curve. Obviously I had mum to help with the finance side of things, um, but just, you know, experiencing buying a home, having a mortgage and all that side of things um, was really eye-opening and yeah, kind of got my, you know, piqued my interest in terms of, I think this is something that, you know, lots of people do go through and buy a house, get a mortgage um, and something that if you don't have, you know, obviously I had a really close mentor to guide me through that process. And if you don't have someone like that, it can be very overwhelming because, 
you know, there's lots of bank speak and um, financial jargon and, you know, terms and conditions and things like that. And, um, you know, to have someone to kind of guide you through that process is, is really important. So, yeah, then I decided, um, you know, why don't I do that? Um, so became a mortgage broker, um, partly for that reason, the interest in the property and the finance, and then also um, just own my own business, um, which I really enjoy as well. So, yeah, that's that's kind of a bit about my background. I hope that covers things. No, it's so cool that like that's what's inspired you to move into this space because I think in the last couple of years especially, I don't know if you would agree with this, but there's definitely been a change in the environment around the money talk and women. I think traditionally this hasn't been a conversation that has uh, let women participate in and I feel like with really great educators out there, money podcasts and a lot of almost like female finance influencers entering the space, it's encouraging a lot of young women to look at finances and learn how to set themselves up, why they should buy a house or how to buy a house or whether they want to in, use it as a terms of investment or invest their monies in money in other ways. So would you agree with that? Definitely. I definitely agree, especially um, the education side of things. That's something I'm really, um, you know, proud to be focused on because, you know, you can go into a bank and, you know, these days things are speeding up a bit. So you can probably go into a bank and get a loan stamped, um, you know, within a couple of days or so. But, you know, we'll talk about this, the difference between banks and brokers, but, you know, I really like to sit down with my clients. Sometimes, you know, I'd recently had clients buy a house and I think our first meeting was probably a year and a half ago because they just wanted that initial discussion of this is, you know, this is how finance works. This is what the application process looks like. These are the kinds of um, steps that you'll be taking um, when you come to decide what type of loan you want. This is what you look at. And we have that very basic early discussion far, you know, way before the clients are actually ready to buy um, so that they do have that knowledge and that understanding because you don't want to be in the situation where you've put an offer in on a house and you get accepted and then two days later you have to choose what kind of... Yeah, you have to um, And you have no idea what a variable rate is and an offset account and redraw and things like that. So, um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. And especially, you know, bringing women into that conversation, um, you know, I control the finances in our relationship. And I think um, it's really important that that women do and, you know, young women especially um, take that interest early on and, you know, invest if that's what you're interested in, but at least know what the options are um, so you do have that knowledge. Well, I'm sure for many of us, like unless you've had family members go through the process, it does seem very daunting and there is a lot that you're not aware of. Um, I've actually recently bought a house in the last six months. and Thank you. Yeah, it was with my partner and it felt like a really big step, but I've got to admit, um, I think the initial conversations you have around with people, you just hear of what it is, what happens when you purchase a home you just don't realize how much more comes with it. Like it is actually so much more nitty gritty details in terms of 
what you need to be aware of in purchasing your first home, whether it's your forever home or it's an investment. Um, Yeah, there's just so much you need to know before doing that. So I'm looking forward to really delving into that with you today. But before we really get into it, I'm curious to know, Chrissa, why should like young women or young men or couples out there consider investing in property? Yeah, um, I guess in terms of, you know, investing in property, I can really only speak from my personal perspective. Um, I don't give investment advice or that side of things. But for me personally, I like that property is tangible. Um, you know, you can see, you can go to the house, you can inspect it. Um, you, you can do improvements to the property and hopefully raise the value. Um, I like long-term investing. So, you know, as much as I love shows like The Block and House Rules, um, you know, most people probably aren't going to make the money on a property by doing it up and flipping it. If you can do that, amazing. Um, but I see property for myself personally as a long-term, you know, in buy and hold. Um, so, yeah, I rent out my investment apartment. Um, I did Airbnb with it for a while, which is also great. But, um, yeah, I think that's kind of my perspective I shares are great and you know I do dabble in them a little bit myself as well but um I like I like property um yeah that's just that's that's my (laughs) my point of view yeah no well I mean it makes sense like it's nice to be able to see the asset because like unlike shares you don't really (laughs) it's hard to visualize where your money's gone or where it has what what it's going to um Let's talk about banks and brokers. You obviously uh, work as a broker, but I think this is obviously the starting question that many people have at the right at the beginning of their journey. What is the difference between a bank and a broker and, and which one should we choose to go with? Yeah, so I'm obviously very biased and I'll say that. <laughs> um, the difference is really independence. Um, so, you know, if you go to a bank, if you go to ANZ, Uh, they're not going to tell you about the fantastic offer that Commonwealth Bank has on at the moment and send you down the street to go to Commonwealth. They will sell you the best product that they have. Um, If you go to a broker, you know, I have about 30 different lenders on my panel um, that I can write loans with. And um, that means I have more of an option or more options that I can compare and make sure that you really are getting, um, you know, getting the best deal and out of what's available. So, um, that's one aspect of things that, you know, you have more choice. The other is um, the education side of things, you know, which we touched on before, which, you know, I don't, maybe maybe you would get the same level of service at a bank. Um, but I feel that if you're coming to a broker, quite often or more often than not, they are, you know, self-employed. Um, this is their business. You know, I have a greater incentive to give my clients the best offering that I can because it reflects directly back on me and my business, um, you know, and that's my reputation and my brand and what I offer is something that I pride myself on. So uh, I do think you probably get, you know, maybe more attention, um, a better level level of service if you're going to a broker. Um, having said that, there's nothing wrong with going to a bank and if you've someone who really likes to do your own research and compare and um, look at products, then, you know, maybe you do just go directly to a bank. But um, I think in this day and age when people, you know, want that service and the assistance, I think a broker is really the the way to go and to help you step by step through the process because 
a broker, you know, as I said, you might first meet with them a year before you actually purchase the property and then have a few conversations um, and they'll take you through that process um, a bit more, you know, hold your hand a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I will, let's talk about like when you're choosing the which lender is right for you, what are the important things to look out for? Like if you, I mean, whether you're going through a broker or not, obviously you've got to choose which bank you decide to um, to borrow from. What are some of the things to look out for with that? Yeah, so there's quite a few factors um, that would determine which, which lender is best for you. And it is obviously very, you know, specific to that person or couple who's purchasing a property. Um, so a few things are, what policies do those do the banks have? And policies being what um, how are they going to consider your income? Have you been in your job for just a couple of days? There's certain banks that will um, you know lend to you straight away as soon as you've got in a new job. There's some that will make you be off your probation period. If you're a contractor, there are certain banks that will use 100% of your income, or there's others that would it's called shading your income and only use 80% if you're a contractor, um, things like this. So it's important to have a look at your scenario. So do you have any different um, type of things that need to be taken into account, your income, where you live, what type of property you're buying, and then which bank's policies might, might suit best. So that's usually probably the first step in in considering lenders, um, you know, looking at the policies and where your loan might fit. And what that means is probably, you know, a range of options of 30 banks might come down to 12 or something like that. Um, and from there, that's how we then kind of narrow it down. That's how I narrow it down um, even further. So we look at the policies, apply those. Um, and then it's really dependent on the client. So it might be what products are those banks offering, um, being offset accounts, redraw, what fees do they charge, what interest rates um, are they offering as well. And we kind of apply all of those factors over those, you know, we've narrowed it down to 12 lenders. We apply these other factors over it. Um, and then we come up with, a, you know, an even shorter list of, of lenders that might be appropriate. So, um, you know, recently I've actually had a few clients say that they only want to consider lenders who don't invest in fossil fuels. So, which is completely valid. Um, and, you know, so that would be in that, in their case, that's the first lens I put over it. Well, okay, who's investing in fossil fuels um, and take those, those lenders out of the equation. So, yeah, it's really, um, driven by the client and what's in their interest. But there are a few different processes we go through to narrow it down. Um, and, you know, people often think that the best interest rate, you know, that's going to be their number one thing. But in fact, I tend to find that that's the last thing we apply. So we've applied the policies and the products and the offers. And then it might be at the very end when you've got three different lenders that you know, suit all of those requirements, then you say, okay, well, who's got the lowest, you know, the cheapest interest rate and that's the bank you go to. Yeah, right. That's so fascinating. And so when looking through all these policies, that's obviously something that a mortgage broker can help you with. Like, is that something that you like obviously have the knowledge and can share what bank will, you know, for example, I obviously work part-time so you can help 
provide information around what bank might be better suited in terms of that kind of scenario? Definitely. Yeah. So that's kind of the main thing is, um, you know, I get email updates every day from the bank saying this policy has changed, that policy has changed. Um, Lots of reading then. (laughs) Lots of reading and watching webinars and things. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the main, one of the main parts of the job um, is to, to, to be up to date on those policies and, and therefore, you know, there is research that goes into it once you speak to a specific client, but you know, I'll have a, a knowledge or a basic understanding or knowledge of the main policies of lenders. So straight away, I could say, um, oh, you're an accountant. Well, there's five different lenders that have a special policy for accountants that can help you purchase um, with a lesser deposit and, you know, start have a good starting point um, before narrowing it down even further. Yeah, right. That's so fascinating. So we've got some questions from our listeners. The first one's from Ella and she wants to know about the risks involved with those 2% deposit deals. I think you, like everyone sees them everywhere. They're on the radio, they're on the t- TV and it's all those big first home buyer schemes or just property schemes in terms of getting into the market, not needing to have like, you know, a huge deposit to get the foot in the door is it too good to be true? Like, (laughs) is there downfalls to it or is it just a a good thing to look out for? Yeah, there are, I mean, there's downfalls with everything. I would say normally those kinds of offers are tied to a specific developer of a parcel of land and usually a specific builder as well. Um, So already your options are narrowed. You can't go and buy the house you know, that you're living in or the house next door, um, it's actually, well, you have to build a, this house on this block in this area. Um, so in terms of those kinds of restrictions, yes. Um, the other issue is more so in terms of if you've only, you know, saving a deposit is really hard. Like there's no question about that. It's really challenging. Um, and there are some ways, you know, some great offers at the moment to avoid having to save a full 20% deposit, which we can talk about. But um, I think the actual process of saving at least a 5% deposit, which is what most lenders, you know, most of the kind of general lenders require, is a really good way of, um, you know, starting that budgeting process, making sure you are able to consistently save um, and, just taking that step back and looking at your finances and, you know, and building up that deposit. So um, if, you know, I often have clients come to me and they have a small deposit, you know, we can consider, um, you know, there's a few different lenders that offer the 2% deposit. Is it worth doing that now? Or is it actually, um, you know, worth saving up a bit longer and having that 5%? So, there are some of the other lenders um, in WA, it's Keystart, um, who's a government lender who offers um, properties with a 2% deposit. And there's a few others that offer that. Generally, when you're going there, you're getting higher interest rates than you would if you had saved the full 5% and could go to a different um, lender. So it really depends on if the client needs to buy a house now Um, or if they are able to save up a bit more and and kind of save that 5% um, instead. Interesting. So you might get your foot in the door earlier, but you might end up paying for it more down the track. Yes. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah. And some lenders, like the key start is intended to get that foot in the door and then they actually want you to refinance away from them when you can afford to. So you can refinance to a lender with lower rates. Um, but yeah, it depends on if they need to buy for whatever reason now. The next question is from Brooke and she's wanting to know what are the hidden fees to be aware of when buying a house? She's mentioned things like stamp duty and LMI. Do you mind sharing a little bit more knowledge around this? Yeah, so um, I wouldn't say they are hidden as such. Um, From a purchase perspective, I think it's really important to remember that stamp duty is something that you do need to pay. Um, I have lots of people come to me in that first meeting and they say, oh, we've saved our deposit. and then we go through what a purchasing scenario looks like and it's you purchase for this much, this is the deposit you need and this is the stamp duty that you need upfront because that's not something that can be added to your home loan. Um, and, you know, the shock of, oh, we hadn't factored <laughs> those stamp duty costs in. Um, so it is important to be aware of that. Um, in terms of, you know, I think probably lots of your listeners might be first home buyers. So... Um, they actually, if they buy for 430 or less, this is in Western Australia, um, don't pay any stamp duty. And if it's between 430 and 530, they just pay a reduced amount of stamp duty. So um, that's kind of, yeah, a big thing to be aware of. Other costs, um, I think, that people don't factor in is settlement agent fees. Um, so a settlement agent is the person who you engage Um, that actually transfers the property into your name and um, ensures on settlement day that everything goes smoothly. They charge a fee. Um, There's also fees in terms of registering the mortgage. Um, If you're buying an established property and the current owners have, um, for example, paid their rates in advance for the year, the settlement agent will work out, well, they owned the property Um, you know, for these many days and then you're getting the benefit of it for X amount of days and you have to pay them, refund them the costs of those interest, um, those council rates. So when when I'm talking to my clients about mortgages, I'm talking about, um, and home loans, the big kind of costs, stamp duty, um, deposits and things like that and bank fees. Um, But Yes, it's, it is important to remember, um, you know, I always say this, remember settlement agent fees, you need a budget for these things as well, because, um, you know, it's not, it's not just like these stamp duty and deposit, there's, there's other fees involved as well. Um, yeah, so I think like, initially, I was super naive, like even in my own journey of purchasing my first home with my partner he was less naive than I was but like I think in my mind I just was like oh you know you see the cost of the house on realestate.com and you're like oh we could afford that yeah that's great that's well within our budget but then you don't realize all the additional things that come in on top of that that you end up going hang on no 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 no, actually <laughs> this doesn't work with you know the deposit you have or or what you can yeah. afford to yeah borrow and even things like building and pest inspections, um, you know, there's a few hundred dollars for those. Um, so, yeah, definitely is important. And that's something that I go through, like, don't forget there's all these extra costs as well. Um, in terms of bank hidden fees, if I don't know if that's where the question was more targeted at, um, they are generally pretty upfront. 
Um, and, you know, that will all be disclosed from the outset. Um, and if they're not, then, mm. you know, have a look at which bank you're with. Yeah. So depending on with which bank you're with, you may, be have to, you, you may have to pay certain bank fees in terms of to have the mortgage. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, generally there's, um, you know, set up, set up fees for the mortgage, um, like the registering of the mortgage and things like that. Um, and then it depends on which loan product you choose. So there's what's called um, a basic home loan, which lots of, you know, most banks offer, which generally has a an application fee of a few hundred dollars, but no ongoing costs. And then the other alternative um and banks call these different, all different things, but essentially they have two key products, basic and then professional package loans. And the professional package loan usually has an annual fee that um, you pay each year um, and that covers the costs of, of that loan. Mm. But you get additional perks with it, which we may talk a bit further into the yes. yeah, yep. episode. Um, before we move on to the last question, I just wanted to touch on LMI that she mentioned. Do you mind explaining um, what LMI is for those listeners who don't know what the acronym means? Yeah, so um, LMI is short for Lenders Mortgage Insurance. And it is very important to know that it's an insurance that protects banks. It's not an insurance that protects you as the purchaser. So I have had clients come to me and say, okay, and, you know, we've done the whole meeting and they say, oh, and when do I get the LMI? You don't, (laughs) if you can avoid LMI, you want to avoid it. Um, But what it means is if you don't have a 20% deposit, um, and a 20% deposit is seen as the bank's sweet spot. That's what they really ideally like to have their clients purchase a home for 80% of the purchase price, meaning that they have a 20% deposit. And the reason for that is that banks say, well, if you, and let's just use round numbers, if you buy a property for a million dollars and you've got 20% deposit, so you put in 200,000, and we lend you 800000 Even if you trash your property, you smash the windows in, you stop paying your mortgage, um, and the bank needs to come and try and get their money back, they think that they can probably sell your million-dollar property for at least 800000 and therefore recover their funds. So they feel safe that they've got a – essentially they've got a $200,000 buffer in that example, which gives them comfort. As soon as you go over that 800,000, so, you know, you don't have a 200,000 deposit, which who does, um, but if you don't have the 20% deposit, the bank starts to get a little bit nervous um, and say, well, you know, what if you do trash your property and we need to sell it and we can't get our money back or there's a downturn in the value, you know, in the property market and we can't recover our funds. So because they get a bit worried about that, as soon as you go over um, an 80% loan-to-value ratio or LVR, um, the bank will take out this insurance policy and that's the LMI. And so essentially what they're doing is they are insuring their funds that they've given you um, and which is saying that this insurer will pay the entire amount to the bank. So 
when they take out that policy, what they do kindly is charge you the insurance premium for it. So that's the LMI. So you are paying the premium for the bank to have an insurance policy over your loan. And does that change depending on um, the like the purchasing like conditions and price and all that kind of stuff, or is that a, a set rate? Yeah. No, it changes depending on um, how much you buy your property for and how much of a deposit you have. So if you had, um, if you're buying at eighty three percent LVR, so you had a seventeen percent deposit, you'd only be paying a really small amount of mortgage insurance. Um, but if you needed to go up to 95%, then you're probably going to be paying, you know, um, the higher amount of mortgage insurance. But again, it's also dependent on the value of your property. Um, well, and the last question is from Casey and Sheena wants to know, um, what benefits she gets from being a first home buyer? Yeah. So there's lots of great benefits from being a first home buyer, um, I will talk specifically about Western Australia at the moment, um, but most of these are available um, everywhere in Australia. So uh, as a first home buyer, something that is Australia-wide is the um, first home loan deposit scheme, which is on offer at the moment. So what this means is it's a scheme that the government's offering and it's a way for first home buyers to purchase a property even if they don't have that 20% deposit um, and without them having to pay that mortgage insurance or have a guarantor, which we haven't really spoken about. But essentially there's um, a few ways to avoid paying the mortgage. There's a few ways of buying a property. You either have the 20% deposit, you go, okay, I'm going to need to pay mortgage insurance because I've only got a 5% deposit or you have a guarantor. Um, who uses their property as security for your property as well. Now, with the first home loan deposit scheme, the government guarantees your loan for you. So they say all you need is a 5% deposit, but instead of having to pay mortgage insurance to, you know, the insurer, to the bank, the government will guarantee to the bank, we will take it, we, we guarantee that your loan will be repaid if necessary. Um, so you don't pay any mortgage insurance. So it's actually a, a huge saving um, not having to pay LMI and or alternatively having to save up a 20% deposit. Obviously, the difference between 5% and 20% is, is huge. Um, so it's a great way for first home buyers to get into the property market a lot quicker than they, they might have um, otherwise. Which change, you know, depending on which jurisdiction you're in um, in WA for the new purchase it's 500,000 at the moment so that means the maximum um, value of the property you can buy is is 500,000 um, and for a new build it's 550,000 to buy to build a new property so that's a really amazing um, you know way home buyers to kind of to get into the market a bit sooner um, they actually also have the same scheme, but for single parents. So um, single parents, you know, with children, um, you know, I think quite often maybe looking to women who've, you know, split up with their husbands, um, the same scheme can apply to them as well, which, which is fantastic. Um, back on first home buyers, 
most of the state governments have um, first homeowner grants as well. In Western Australia, if you're buying an established property, that's um, you just get a discount on the stamp duty. So we've spoken about stamp duties. The other big thing to remember when you're buying a property, um, it's another cost. That's a, um, you know, a government fee or tax that you pay to them. If you're a first home buyer and you buy for 430,000 or less, you don't pay any stamp duty, um, which, which is a significant saving. It's probably at that price about you know $10,000 or so, $12,000. Um, then between 430 and 530, you just pay a site discount on, you get a slight discount as a first home buyer as well. Um, if you're building a new property, then you get a $10,000 grant for being a first home buyer. Yeah. So there's lots of different features. There's um, in, you know, Western Australia focused because that's where I am, but there's also a um, home buyer's assistance. So if you bought for 400,000 or less, you get up to $2,000 of those extra costs refunded to you as part of the government grant. So um, that's things like your settlement agent fee, mortgage registration fee and things like that, which tend to probably add up between anywhere between one to $2,000. Um, if you're a first home buyer, you can get that refunded um, as a grant as well. So um, yeah, if you're a first home buyer and you're buying for, you know, 400,000 at the moment, you only need a 5% deposit, you're not paying stamp duty, you're getting $2,000 refunded, um, you know, for your settlement fees, it's, it's a pretty good time to be to be shopping around because um, yeah, there's some great incentives. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, and obviously it can differ slightly state to state though. And so is that just um, if we Google our state's uh, first home buyer incentives, that should bring all the information up? Yeah, that should bring all the information up um, as well. You know, I do act for people in in other states and um, it's definitely something that your broker will will know what's applicable um, or can and can look it up for you as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really nice. Um, so let's talk about how much money you need to buy a house. We've obviously thrown a few different figures out there in terms of not necessarily needing the 20%, but as a rough estimate, what would you recommend as being the kind of ballpark to aim for? Yeah, um, it's, it is really, you know, how long is a piece of string? Um, what are they buying? Because, um, I've had one client buy a unit and a first buy for three hundred thousand dollars this year, and I've had another first home buy a couple buy for one point one million. So, oh, wow. you know, um, it is it is very dependent on what your budget is and what you're looking at. Um, but if we're just talking percentages wise, what you need to save, um, I personally think even if you've got a guarantor. And we can talk, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, I think saving a 5% deposit is really important because lots of the lenders um, require you to prove that you've got 5% genuine savings. And what that means is genuine means you've saved it up in your bank account over time. It's not a gift from family. Um, it's not an inheritance. It's, it's money that you've saved from your income. So... I think even if you're going to a lender that doesn't require that, I just think saving, going through the process of saving 5% is, 
is quite important if you're about to take on a mortgage just to know that you can put that money aside um, because it's likely that that's that same amount that you're saving every month might end up becoming your mortgage repayments. So just to kind of get in that habit of, you know, I don't spend that money, that's that's for my house, whether it's saving for the deposit or the actual repayments. Um, I do think that's, that's quite important. Having said that, um, you know, I've kind of mentioned a guarantor briefly a couple of times. That's another option um, that lots of people look at, especially first home buyers. And that's a way of if, um, if you don't have a 20% deposit, um, you don't want to pay mortgage insurance, you do have someone nice who's willing to go guarantor for you. That's a good way of um, being able to buy a property now. And how it works is the bank will take security over the property that you're purchasing up to 80%. So we've spoken about that 80% number being the kind of magic number. They'll also take security over the guarantor's property as well. So if the guarantor had paid off their own home loan, they would have, you know, an unencumbered title. The bank will take that title and hold it and will be holding that property as part security for your loan as well. So you can see in the example of, say you're buying um, a house for 500,000 and your parents have a house that's worth a million dollars and it doesn't have a loan on it. The bank's actually now getting $1.5 million of security in the two properties. And they're more than happy to lend you 80% of the total value of the properties. So what that means for you or, you know, for a first home buyer is that they can actually borrow 100% of the purchase price of their property because the bank has more than enough security. They're comfortable that they can sell your house. They could also sell the guarantor property if they needed to, to recover their funds. So, so it's normally parents and siblings that can be guarantors um and using their property as security so the benefit for for young people is especially young couples if they've got two incomes their borrowing power might be quite high but to save up a deposit you know to save a 20 percent deposit is going to take them quite a long time well it's hard when you're paying like rent these days is so expensive i mean perth's pretty good but i mean canberra sydney melbourne you can be paying six hundred dollars between two people for like a, a place to live at which is a huge amount in terms of a mortgage repayment you could afford to live in live in a really nice place but it might be really hard to save up the, that deposit when you're spending so much in rent yeah, exactly i am curious to know your top three biggest mistakes you see people make when they purchase their first home or investment property um so i think on this I'd say probably re not researching the area that they're looking to buy in enough. Um, you know, you should, by the time you're buying, have narrowed down what suburb or surrounding suburbs you're really interested in, been to home opens, um, looked at property reports, which is something I can send to my clients, um, which generally says, um, gives information about the sales history. So what the property was previously sold for, um, what it's on the market for, you know, has it been rented, things like that. And from all that information and doing all that research, you know, 
clients should really be able to go into a property and say, I think this is good, a good buy or I think this is overpriced um, because you've seen so many other houses. You've, you've got a feel for what they're selling for um, because, you know, you can homes are staged so beautifully at the moment and um you know you can walk into one and go oh my gosh it's amazing I love it I can see myself living here uh, but if you haven't done that research to actually say well one sold down the road and had an extra bedroom and sold for less um you know you want to make sure you're getting a good buy so I think research um is really important I also think not speaking to a mortgage broker first is probably <laughs> a big one. Um, to have those initial conversations about how much deposit do you need? Um, you know, I, I did have clients come to me recently. They'd done a calculator online and said, oh, you know, we want to buy for about 800000 Um and as soon as I got their financial information, I realized, well, they might be able to get a loan for 800,000, but they don't have the deposit and they didn't have a guarantor. So um, they hadn't, we hadn't gone through that stage yet. And luckily they had said, oh, we're thinking about putting an offer in somewhere. And I was like, let's just have a catch up first before you start doing that. Um, because they just didn't realize, you know, that you need a deposit or you need 5% genuine savings. So I think having that initial meeting um, even well before you're actually ready to buy is really important. Um, and thirdly, I think on the, in the kind of same same vein, um, not considering, you know, after you've sp spoken to a broker, not actually, um, it's really important to look at what you actually can afford. So the bank might tell you that you can afford to borrow, you know, $500,000. And it's really, and I think is the most important part of buying is looking at what the repayments are on a loan of $500,000 and thinking about your budget or thinking about, you know, your income each month and whether you actually can afford that loan because we can get you the loan, the bank can say you can afford it, but as you know, you actually have to continue to make those repayments every month for the next 30 years or however long. Um, that's what's going to be impacting your life, making those repayments. So you don't want to overstretch yourself so that you can no longer go out or, you know. You're in financial can't. stress, yeah. Yeah, or, or even it might not even be financial distress. It might be, oh, I can't go on that holiday with my girlfriends because I have to pay this mortgage or I don't feel like I can ever buy my lunch or, or whatever it might be. Um there's obviously going to be changes to your financial situation once you buy a home and you are going to make sacrifices. But I just think it's important to, um, you know, make sure it's manageable and make sure you actually look at how much you're going to be repaying and, and that you can afford that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, yeah, that all such really good pieces of advice right there. I want to know before, <laughs> before we um, wrap this up, I really am curious to know what is the best piece of property um, investing advice you've ever been given? I mean, this may have been something that you've learned through your studies and dealing with your clients, or it might be something personally that you've come across, but um, yeah, I would love to know what you have there. Yeah, it's probably, um, it's probably back to the same, really. I think just researching, um, you know, I'm a big nerd. I love property and I love knowing what's selling. And, you know, I'm often looking at, oh, what are the houses around me selling for? Um, but I just think having that understanding 
means that you're really protecting yourself from dips and troughs in the market. Obviously, property prices are going to change over time. Um, you know, we're going through a, a bit of a boom, especially in Perth at the moment. Um, is that going to last forever? I don't know. But you just want to know that you at least got a good buy for the time that you were buying because nobody has a crystal ball and can say, is it a good time to buy now or in six months or should I have bought six months ago? But the, what you can do is make sure that when you are buying, you're getting a good buy or, you know, it's it's valued at, at what you think it is. Um, so, yeah, I think research, research and more research is, is my number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell you, I feel like I was, I just, you just get so inundated and overwhelmed with all the information that there is out there to learn when it comes to this, because I feel like there isn't like you can't, you can never know enough. Like it is one of those things that you can do. You think you know it all, but then you don't. Um, I feel like it's a topic that you can really just continue to learn about the whole way through. Yeah. hundred percent agree. So Chrissa, do you mind sharing a little bit about your business and services and how we can follow you, how we can get in touch with you if you know, we're thinking that we might want to start our journey to purchasing our first home. Yes. Yeah, so um, my business is Garland Finance. You can find me by searching at Garland Finance on Instagram. Um, my email address is Chrissa, which is C-R-I-S-S-A at garlandfinance.net. Um, and definitely flick me an email, follow me on Instagram and send me or send me a DM um and get in touch about you know just starting the conversation as I said I think it's really important um there's no obligations um you I should say as well I get paid from the bank um so you know clients don't pay me up front or anything and I'm more than happy to have those initial um conversations with people if they're just interested in learning more um about getting a loan or buying a property as well well thank you so much for sharing your incredible knowledge with us today i'll be popping all the links to um chris's website instagram and all the rest in the show notes so do go check them out if that's something you're interested in otherwise chris thank you so much i uh, just i really appreciate you coming on and having a chat with us today and hopefully in the near future we could maybe do a part two because i think there's just way more to discuss <laughs> Yeah, I probably went on some tangents, sorry. <laughs> no, <it was laughs> Thanks so, so much for having me, Georgie. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Wow. I hope you enjoyed it. I release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe or follow and tune in next week. Otherwise, in the meantime, you better come join us on Instagram at thewowpodcast underscore for more updates. Lastly, a friendly reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a professional first. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. Roll, get it, get it.